0: I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 14 verses 13 to 21. Can anyone tell me which story in the Gospels, which miracle is told in each of the four Gospels besides the resurrection? Can anyone tell me? Nope, nope, not the water into wine. That's in John, the Gospel of John, Can anyone tell me? Well, No, that's also in Gospel of John. You really like the Gospel of John. <laughs> don't you, John? That's good. Well, we've done John chapter two and John chapter 11. Got any more miracles from John for us, Jonathan? Which blind man? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good response because he healed lots of blind men. <laughs> you, you, could be, you could be right on a technicality. That's not the answer that I'm looking for. The answer is the feeding of the 5,000. All right? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, yeah. Was not. Was not. Let me read John uh, John Matthew <laughs> Matthew chapter 14 Matthew 14 verses 13 to 21 it says when Jesus heard what had happened and we'll come back to that he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place hearing of this the crowds followed him on foot from the towns when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them He healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to Him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. (laughs) And that's the phrase I actually want us to capture This afternoon, you give them something to eat, and we'll come back to that. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. So some estimate that there were possibly up to, you know, 20,000 people who are actually listening to Jesus at that time, if you add in the kids and add in the women as well. There was a phrase that I said we would come back to right near the start of the passage that I read, and the phrase is this, when Jesus heard what had happened. So as I read that, as I read that, the question for me was, well, what had just happened? Well, let me tell you what had just happened. Jesus' friend and his cousin, John the Baptist, had been cruelly killed He'd actually been beheaded and Jesus hears about this. So what does Jesus do? He withdraws to a quiet place, a private place to reflect, to get some time by himself. He's, he's heartbroken, right? This is his friend who was cruelly being killed. He needs some time out. He's upset. What happens? The crowds follow him. <laughs> And it says, he has compassion on them and he heals their sick. Thousands of people gather to this place where Jesus has gone to get some solitude and to mourn by himself. Thousands of people gather and he has love for them and he heals them. Pretty outstanding, isn't it? Those circumstances would be enough for me to say, leave me alone. (laughs) Go away. I need some alone time. What, you want me to heal you? Give me a break. Just give me some time by myself here. I'm heartbroken. But that's not Jesus. When he has nothing else to give, he finds something to give. When he's emotionally in pain, he gives of himself to others and this isn't the main point of what I want to say, but I think it's a great point from this story. It's possible to be productive. It's possible to help others, even when we are stressed, when we're tired, and when we're in pain ourselves. Our typical reaction in those circumstances is to push people away or or to say, hey, I've got nothing to give. There's nothing I can do for you but we learn from this story here that even when we're in those kind of circumstances, God is still able to work through us and he's still able to help other people if we are willing to let God in and let him work through us. So the time flies by and it's getting late. Jesus hasn't finished, but the disciples have finished and we can tell that from what they have to say. What do they say? It's late. Send the people away and they can buy some food and go to their homes. I wonder if they were actually really concerned about the people or whether they were kind of, uh, you know, watching the time themselves and thinking, you know what, I've had enough of this. We kind of hear Jesus speaking and doing his thing all over the time. I'm actually feeling a little bit tired and a little bit hungry. I wonder if they were really thinking of the other people or whether they're thinking of themselves. Whatever the case, they've got a plan, and the plan is the people need to go, Jesus, you're done for the day, we think you're done for the day, we think the people have had enough, we think they're probably hungry, that's their plan. Does Jesus like their plan? No, (laughs) he doesn't like their plan. Again, this is just an aside, but could it be that there are times when Jesus doesn't like our plans? Could it be there are times when we're putting a plan before Jesus, when this is how we feel about something, when we perhaps pretend that we've got the needs or the concerns of others foremost in our minds, but really we're thinking about ourselves or, and we put something to Jesus and Jesus says, nice plan, but it's not my plan. I wonder, I wonder, is it possible that Jesus has a better way or is our way always the best way? Is it possible that there's a better way than our way? An appropriate response would be yes. (laughs) That would be an appropriate response. Sometimes we don't have the best way to deal with a situation, but Jesus always does. And Jesus' response here takes them by surprise because they think they've come up with the best plan. They think what they're putting out there is logical. They are right. There's a lot of people. There's nowhere for them to go and buy some food now. It's getting late in the day. There's logic to what they're saying, but Jesus hasn't finished. There's more to be done. There's more lessons to be learned. And the greatest lesson actually kicks in at this point in time, not for the fifteen or 20,000 people who are there, but for the disciples. They learn the most powerful lesson at this moment in time. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. You've identified a problem. You do something about it oh, hang on a second, you're Jesus, you're the guy with the clever tricks, <laughs> you're, the, you're the guy who can do impossible things, what are you on about here? You do something, you solve it, you be part of what I want to do next. So, a few of you are teenagers I know that there's some parents here or others who have been carers and the like, and you'll probably understand what I'm talking about. Some of you will have brothers. You'll understand what I'm talking about. But is there any end to the appetite of a teenage boy or a young man? John, you know what I'm talking about, right? Is there any end to a teenage boy's appetite. This is a fairly regular conversation in our house. Sorry, Josiah. There's nothing to eat here. (laughs) Nothing to eat. Oh! When are you guys going to do the shopping? There's nothing to eat here. Has anyone else heard anything like that ever? Can any of you be honest enough to actually say oh yeah yeah that that's that was me yeah good there's some honest people here there's nothing to eat here and May response and my response is often so or and what are we saying by that what we're saying is oh, do something about it Go and buy yourself something, make yourself something, solve the issue yourself. You're not a child, you earn your own money, you've got legs. Go and do something. Is anyone still feeling me here and know what I'm saying? You do something about it. And Jesus says to the disciples, You give them something to eat. You can do it, guys whoa, 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 I'm not sure about that, Jesus. Don't ask God to do what he's already asked you to do, and don't ask God to do what he has empowered you to be able to do yourself. Don't do it. If God has given you what you need to be a part of the miracle that he wants to bring to you, participate with God and be part of what he wants to do. Don't push back onto God what God has actually put into your hands to do. Oh, God. God, I need a job. Stop playing on your flipping Xbox for eight hours a day then. Oh. All right, God. God, help me lose weight. Stop shoving the cream buns in your cake hole. Oh, God, just help me. Just stop eating, God says. Oh, God, please help me have a better relationship. Stop yelling at your wife then. Stop abusing her. Is there not another way, God? No, there's not another way. There's not another way. If you can do something to participate in what you are looking for a solution for, participate in it. Work with God. Isn't that what God looks like and what God looks for? He looks for a divine and a human partnership, right? God actually delights working with us, He's given us a brain, he's given us hands, he's given us feet, he's given us all of these other faculties that he's given to us, and he wants to work with us to see his kingdom established on the earth. And that's the privilege that we have, but he's looking for a certain attitude. What kind of attitude is he looking for? He's looking for a spirit of faith. He's looking for willingness He's looking for extra mile kind of people, not bare minimum kind of people. I was in the Czech Republic, and I was in a small town called Uherský Hradiste, and I needed to buy a ticket from Uherský Hradiste to Warsaw, to Warsaw. So. I went into the train station. I went to the ticket office. I'm glad I've got my mask off because this is visual. You're gonna need to be able to see me for this. I had a Czech friend with me. Um, I understand I can't speak Czech, so obviously I want want to be as clearly understood as possible. I wanna make it as simple as possible. So my friend asked for the ticket from Uhurski Hredistje to Warsaw. Warsaw. Warsaw, not Warsaw. That's German, isn't it? Yeah. And so, my friend asks for the ticket. I'm standing next to my friend. The lady in the ticket office, she looks at me, and this is what she does her eyes do the whole clock, right? They do a whole 360, like. It's like, give me a break. What are you being paid for? You're being paid to sell tickets. Sell me a ticket, for goodness sake. I've got the money. You've been asked politely, is that too much for you to do? A bare minimum kind of attitude, like, really, do I have to do that? Do I I, I actually have to give you this ticket to this city, in another country. It's a longer ticket. It's going to take me a little bit longer than just a a local ticket. Yes, you need to sell me the ticket because that's what you're paid to do. Right? We don't want that bare minimum kind of attitude, do we? We don't like it when we encounter that, do we? When we're in the shops, when we're in our workplace with work colleagues, if we encounter that bare minimum kind of attitude, it it peeves us, right? It annoys us, it frustrates us. God is looking for the kind of attitude that will go that extra mile, that will say, okay, I can make that happen. Yeah, I, I can do that. Why not? That's the kind of attitude that God looks for, and that's the kind of attitude that moves the kingdom of God forward. The kind of attitude that says, Why not? Yeah, let's try that. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You work with God and be part of the miracle that God wants to do in your work situation, in your family situation, in your relationship situation. You do something. Where do the disciples go next in the story? This is a place that many of us go as well. Where do they go next? Oh, we've only got five loaves and two fish. In other words, the excuses start coming out, right? And again, I don't want to be too tough on them because there's a big crowd of people and as far as they can tell, there is only this little bit of food that they can do something with, right? So I don't want to be too tough, but they're not quite switched on to what God can actually do. They're not quite thinking yet in the way that God would want them to think. That could be us from time to time, maybe. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I thought that was a bit amusing because that, <laughs> that describes me from time to time. But hey, you know, I'm preaching to a bunch of saints here. No problems. No problems. We've only got five loaves and two fish. But they had something, right? Right? They didn't have nothing, they had something. And God is an expert at taking our something and increasing it and making something significant from it, making more from it. That's what God does. Never be afraid to give God what you think is not enough, because when you give that to God, God multiplies it and he makes more from it. That's the nature and character of our God. That's that's a God who understands that fundamentally we're not enough. That's not a God who is disgusted with us and thinks we're, we're pathetic and useless. It's a God who says, I know you haven't got everything. Give me what you have got and let's do something. That's the kind of God who we serve. The little that you have is a lot in Jesus' hands. It really is. Live with that kind of can-do spirit. Live with that kind of faith. Live with that kind of belief that says, I don't know how this is going to happen but I'm pretty confident that God can help me. Let your starting point, and look, this next point here, it's going, it's going to help you certainly in your faith walk, but it's also going to help you in your relationship world, in your workplace. Listen to this. Let your starting point be yes, and work your way back to no. Don't start with no and make it so darn hard to get to yes. That's tiresome, that kind of thinking. It's tiresome. Start with yes and then maybe go the other way. But don't start with don't start with no all of the time. Don't start with all of the reasons why it can't happen. Don't dredge up everything about the past that might verify that that course of action will never work. Start with the possibility that it can happen, and more often than not, something positive will actually come out of that, right? But when we start with no, isn't it amazing how often we (laughs) we don't get any further? Surprise, surprise! Surprise! Start with no, and it's difficult to actually make positive progress. So, when they say yes, when they cooperate with Jesus, what starts to happen? The miracle starts to happen when they obey. There's no miracle before they're obedient, Jesus doesn't toss them aside and say, oh, I've had enough with you, I'm just going to do it myself. He actually involves them in the process, and motion starts, prayer starts, the breaking of bread starts, the distribution begins to happen, and the miracle happens. When they obey, the miracle starts to happen. But without their obedience, there wouldn't have been a miracle. Well, maybe Jesus would have said, oh, I had enough of you guys. I really am really thinking of these people here, all these people who have come out. I'm going to give them something anyway. I don't know. But Jesus wanted the disciples to learn here. He wanted their faith to be increased. He wanted them to see that as they trusted him and worked with him that amazing things could happen. you give them something to eat? What are you praying for at the moment? What is troubling you at the moment? What promise is it that you have that hasn't become a reality yet? What heartache are you bearing at the moment that you're asking God to help you move through. Well, what is your part in that? What is your part in that? How is God going to use who you are and what he has given to you and what is around you to help you become part of the miracle that you need? You give them something to eat. Participate with God and let him do something great. That's the kind of spirit and the kind of attitude that we want at Glasshouse Church. And I reckon that's the kind of spirit and attitude that Jesus is looking for in his disciples too. We want people who know their God and who are prepared to work with their God to make incredible stuff happen. People who will obediently do what God has asked them to do. And for some of you who are newer Christians, this is a journey of faith and trust and uh, even at some level simple understanding for you to be at that place to say, ah, okay. So it's not just all about God, it's also about me and uh, what God wants to do in me and uh, obedience with God. Okay, I I can respond to that. And others who have been following Jesus longer, perhaps disappointment has set in. Perhaps spiritual lethargy has set in. And this is a reminder to you. That this is a, a spur to you. This is a kick up the the bum to you of God saying to you afresh, "Hey, come on, come on. You know you know what God's word says. You know what you know what my word says. You know that you should be participating and cooperating with me. Come on. Come on. Go again. Get back up on the horse." Go again. Trust me. Believe for this. I can help you here. Some great stuff can happen here. Wherever you are with that, I'm absolutely convinced that God wants you to work with him to see his kingdom extended and to see him work powerfully in your personal life and in the lives of those around you too.